uh, invest in, in weapons and training and all sorts of stuff so that they can get ready for the end. That's probably not what we're going to be talking about in this series, okay? And if you do watch the show, there's some really cool things, like there was this compound out somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and there's like these three families that got together, and they created this compound. And one cool thing, they, they took an old truck, they took out the engine, and they hand-built a wood-fired engine, okay? Because at the end of the world, you don't know if you're going to have gasoline. Still might need to drive somewhere, right? So that's pretty cool, right? I didn't even know that was possible. Wood-powered engine. But then there's also some other crazy things like a family in Arizona who converted their backyard swimming pool into a hydroponic system and they filled their entire pond now with tilapia. Because you might want to eat tilapia at the end, but because these tilapia spawn so much, not only are they planning to eat three meals a day of tilapia at the end, they have to eat three meals a day of tilapia now. Can you imagine that? And I love seafood just as much as the next guy. But tilapia, do you know what they eat? They're bottom feeders, okay? So whatever you, when you eat them, you're eating what they eat, okay? Let's just say that, and I don't know. If that's what it takes to prepare for the end, ooh, I don't know. I'll, I'll stick with rice and beans, I guess. Okay, so what, what I'm saying in this message is, is it's not necessarily about all those things. It's fine if you want to prepare for the end and get some bottled water and some dried food and, and store it. That, that's fine. You, you want to get some weather gear, you know, because it might get freezing cold without heat. Okay, that's fine. People in Texas have discovered, yes, you need some of that stuff, right? You know, right? That's fine, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the things we actually need to change in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives now to prepare for whenever that end may come, whether it's before this series is finished or whether it's 100 years from now and all of us are dead. We need to prepare for the end, and that's what we're going to learn. We're actually going to learn this whole series we're learning from Jesus himself because Jesus talked about the end, and he talked about what we need to do to prepare for the end. So in this series, we're going to cover um, Luke chapter 12, verse 35, all the way to Luke chapter 14, the end of it. If you've been here for a while, you know that we've been going through the gospel according to Luke. It's the longest uh, gospel, and because of that, we started it way back, like December 2019. We're kind of doing a series in Luke, and then another series, and then going back to Luke. So we're doing that, um, and, and we're going to be in these, this section, Luke chapter 12, 35 to the end of chapter 14. And if you miss any of those series, that's fine. You can go back and find them on arisedenver.com media, but this is kind of a more of a standalone section of Scripture as Jesus talks about the end. And uh, if you remember the very last message in our last Luke series, um, Pastor Sawyer gave the message, and he was talking about worrying, because Jesus talked about that in the, the middle of chapter 12 of Luke. And particularly, Sawyer had a great big idea that, you know, don't worry, be faithful, if you remember that message. But, but Jesus said at the end of that section, he said, hey, whatever you do in this life, don't worry so much about storing up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, right? So that, that was the, the last kind of thing he finished off. So, so don't worry. You trust God. Don't worry about the things that are going to be destroyed in this life. So immediately after that now, Jesus begins to talk about the end and what we need to do to prepare for it. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get to Luke chapter 12, verse 35. If you're online or if you're here in person, you can get out your phone and use the YouVersion Bible app and look for the Arise Denver event, Arise Church Denver event, and you can follow along the scriptures, even take notes there in your app as we start this message, because today's message is how to prepare for the end of the world, how to prepare for the end. And here's what Jesus is going to teach us today through two parables that he's going to teach us. One point we're learning in this point is that preparing for the end is not about storing up the most, but serving at your post. 
For being prepared for the end is not about storing up the most. It's not about who can get the most dry goods and the most MREs stashed. It's not about any of that. But it's about storing up the, uh, it's about serving at your post. So it's not about storing up the most, but serving at your post. And we're going to learn this from these two parables Jesus teaches, these, these stories that teach this deeper spiritual truth. So let's start in verse 35. Jesus says, Be dressed ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. So Jesus tells this story. He says, Be dressed ready Keep your lamps burning. You're, you're a servant. So he's saying, this is what it's like. You're, you're a servant to a great master. And Jesus, of course, is going to talk later that he is that great master one day who will return. He said we need to be in servants, like a servant waiting for the master to return from a wedding. Now, wedding in Jesus' day were week-long things. They were a huge party, okay? at least a few days at minimum, probably a week more likely. Man, that sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? Yeah, you guys getting married, right? A couple engaged, like, eh, we could do that, right? A week-long party, and everyone showed up. But they, they kind of went a few days, maybe a week, kind of until the food and booze ran out, right? They're, they're having a great big party. So when the master goes to this party, he's going to be there for a while, and the servants don't know when he's going to return. And it wasn't like today where you can go on Expedia.com and you can you know, book your plane ticket in advance and know when you're going to leave, when you're going to re- return. You can't book a Greyhound ticket to, to get there. Okay, it was just like we're going to set out on a trip, and when it's over, we're going to come back. So the master might return on any day. He might return at any time because it might be the middle of the night. He wants to finish the trip. Hey, I'll, I'll show up at 1, 2, 3 in the morning. I want to get home. So at the gate, because you can imagine this is a great master with a great big you know, house and, and estate, and at the gate, they had to let people in, and, and there's the servant at the gate. He needs to stay awake. He needs to stay ready. He needs to have his fire burning just in case the master comes back in the middle of the night to let him in the gate. That's what he's saying. We are like those servants who now need to be ready. We need to be alert. We need to be alert and ready for whenever Jesus comes back. And it starts out, Jesus says, be dressed ready. See, in the Greek, it's actually a phrase that we don't use anymore. It's the phrase, gird up your loins. What? Okay, that's why it's translated a different way in our NIV, right? But it says, gird up your loins in the Greek, because men in that day, men would have worn long robes. In order to run or do any strenuous activity, they would have rolled up their robes and kind of tied it with their belt. And then they could move a little bit more freely. So he's saying, hey, be ready like that by the, even the clothes you're wearing. And of course, that's an analogy for how we are supposed to think with the alertness of our minds and attitudes. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who's going to speak here in just a few minutes in our passage, says something very similar using the same phrase in 1 Peter 1.13. And this is the NKJV, the old translation that still uses this phrase. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So see that metaphor? It's not really about the clothes you wear. It's not like some special doomsday prepper garb that you need to go out and buy, right? Some fire retardant, you know, overalls. You know, you don't need that. Saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. So Peter is saying, hey, the way you live, the way you think, needs to be in a way that's not distracted, forgetting about what's going to happen, having your mind muddled because of lacking sobriety. It's saying, hey, you need to be focused, You need to be alert. You need to be ready. And in the same way Jesus is using that metaphor for us, we need to think a certain way. The way we think is that Jesus could come back at any moment. That's how we need to live our lives. Jesus goes on. Verse 37, he says, 
It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Twice he says it will be good, and that's going to be a phrase that's going to occur again. It will be good. It could be translated as you will be blessed, you will be happy, you will be rewarded if you're ready. So, so this is what he's saying. Hey, the, the, the servant who's ready will be rewarded. They will be happy. Good things will happen to them. And he even explains what it's going to be. Now, this is radical what Jesus says. He says, truly, I tell you, he, this is talking about the master, he will dress himself to serve. will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. And if Jesus is talking about himself, he's saying, when I come back, if you are my servant, if you are ready, if you're alert, if you are doing what you're supposed to do, I will serve you. Now, this is radical. No master in the ancient world would stoop and lower himself to serve his servants. But that's what Jesus promises he will do for us. Last week, as we finished our series, The Quest, that that final message, The Goal, we, we talked about that. That Jesus would prepare a great banquet, a great feast for all those who believe in him. And here we learn that at this feast, Jesus himself will serve us. Can you just imagine that? getting to the end, and the king of the universe, who everyone's worshiping and glorifying, the angels, multitudes upon multitudes of angels, bowing down in worship to him, Jesus will come and serve us. You know, want another piece of bread? <laughs> Can you imagine that? But that's what's going to happen for the servant who is ready. And that's why it's not about storing up the most. It's about serving at your post. Jesus says, you'll be rewarded. You'll be blessed. It will be good for you if, if you are ready. But he says, and, and, and this is so important because we don't know, we don't know when Jesus will come back. In verse 39, Jesus makes it clear, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus is talking about himself, the Son of Man. So he kind of shifts his analogy here. You see what he's doing? Okay, now he's saying, okay, if you own the house, if you're waiting there, if you're the guard, you're not going to fall asleep if you know the thief is coming. The thief's going to come and try to break in in the middle of the night. If you knew the time the thief was going to come into your house, you'd be up waiting, polishing your shotgun, right? Or, or you have your ring doorbell or whatever, okay? Whatever your security system. But you'd have it ready, right? We're in a make-your-day law state, right? Okay. Just come on in, thief. Make my day, right? That's what you do if you know the thief is coming. And Jesus is saying, we, you don't know when I'm going to come because I am like the thief in the night to come that way, to come when you least expect it, when no one expects it. Jesus says the exact same thing in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. He says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed. Same metaphor there, right? Remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. This does not mean you can't sleep in a buff, okay? That's not what it's saying. The clothes, once again, are an analogy saying that you need to be ready. Your mind needs to be alert. You need to think and believe that at any time Jesus could come back. I don't know when it's going to be, so I'm going to live my life now as if he could come back at any moment. That's what it means to serve at your post. To be ready, because at any time, the thief could come in. At any time, Jesus could return. The master could be there. So we need to be ready at all times. 
And readiness is such an important thing. Earlier this year and at the end of 2020, I just did a huge deep dive into World War II stuff. I read a bunch of books on World War II. I don't know why. I just got obsessed with it, right? Anybody done this? And I read um, Stephen Ambrose's book, D-Day, a huge book all about one day. This was such a pivotal day in the history of the world, right? Because at that point, uh, on June 6, 1944, Hitler and the Axis occupied most all of Europe. They controlled all of France, and they had for years been waiting for an invasion from the Allies and from uh, England. So they had fortified for years the entire coast of Normandy, the entire northern coast of France. They were getting prepared. They were ready, right? And they were laying all these, these groundworks. They put concrete bunkers in there. They had machine guns and mortars and huge uh, guns, and, and they just had everything ready, mines, everything, right? They were just ready because they, they knew at any time there could be an invasion. But what's most interesting is what actually happened on D-Day. Because on D-Day, the, the Allies had been planning its invasion, and then on, on June 6th, at 0630, the first soldiers landed in that amphibious assault from the Allies at Utah Beach. And there were some German soldiers ready, you know, they, they were there in their posts, but part of German, Germany's response, their plan, was that they would use their tanks, because that was their great weapon in, in Europe. They had these panzer tanks that would go fast, and they could attack quickly, and they were very good at what they were doing. So their plan was, as soon as the Allied forces come up a little bit onto the beach, we'll be shooting them the whole time, and then we'll just use the tanks to just drive them back into the sea. And Germany was pretty confident about this plan. It was actually a, probably a really good strategy. But here's the problem. There was one guy, and we know him as Hitler, right, who said, I get to give the command if we're going to use the tanks or not. So at 0630, when those first soldiers landed, very quickly the message got back all the way to Germany, where, where Hitler was, that, that there was an invasion. But where was Hitler? Do you know? He was sleeping. Nobody wanted to wake up the Fuhrer, right? So they let him sleep and keep sleeping. He finally woke up at noon had his breakfast, they let him know what was going on, and he said, well, let's just see if this is the real invasion. That was a fake invasion. So it wasn't until 4 o'clock in the afternoon that he finally gave the command, okay, you can use the tanks. But by then, it was too late. The Allied forces had taken up enough ground that there was no way they could be driven back. And therefore, Hitler and the Axis lost the war, and it completely changed the events of history because Hitler wasn't alert. He wasn't ready, was he? So I don't need to say it, but I'll say it again. Uh, don't be like Hitler, right? <laughs> you like that application point? Don't be like Hitler. Okay, but don't be like Hitler because he wasn't alert. He wasn't ready. He wasn't waiting for what would come. But we need to be ready. We need to be alert because at any time, at any moment, Jesus could return. No one knows the hour that Jesus will return. This is really important. No one knows the hour. But I do want to say this. Jesus is going to go on with this second parable now to say, hey, it's not just about like standing there watching and waiting. It's an active waiting. It's an active waiting, and that's what he's going to be talking about now in the second half of our passage, starting in verse 41. Peter, talked about him, asked one of the disciples, Lord, are you telling this parable to us, the disciples, or to everyone? In other words, Peter wants to know, does everyone need to know that they need to be prepared and ready for your return? Or just the disciples? Is there something special for us? So Jesus, in the way he always does, he answers the question in a very roundabout way, right? So, so, so now he's talking to, to disciples for them, for those of us who now are followers of Jesus because we are disciples as well. The Lord answered, verse 42, Who then is the faithful and wise manager 
whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So now it's similar. There's a master who's away in this parable. But now he's saying, hey, the manager of the servants. This is a person who has a little bit more responsibility. And the manager of the servants okay, would be feeding them, would be paying them, would be making sure all the servants are doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? So he's saying, hey, Peter, you are a disciple, you are a follower, you know a lot. So, so therefore, you are responsible for others as well, to, to care for them, to, to make sure they have what they need to feed them, even, spiritually. So, so in this sense, those of us who are already followers of Jesus, our job is to help others follow Jesus, right? We talk about that a lot. You heard it from, from me before. Okay, we, we say our mission here is helping people follow Jesus because we say, hey, not only is he a church, me as a pastor, our, my job is to help you follow Jesus, but in turn for you to help others. See, if we are followers of Jesus, we must be serving at our post, which means helping others, serving others, caring about others, teaching others. And then we'll be rewarded. He's like, I'm going to give you all my possessions when I return, okay? I'm going to, Jesus is going to serve us, and he's going to give us possessions? I mean, this is crazy. Verse 45, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master has taken a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So he's saying, hey, this is someone who says they're a follower of me. They're my servant, and yet they're beating others, meaning they're mistreating people, not loving people, treating people with hate and disrespect and not giving them the things they need. And they're getting drunk, meaning they're just like, "Eh, I'm just going to live my life. I'm not going to be obedient. He says, for those people, it's going to be bad. It's not going to be good, right? The master will come back, and at the very end of verse 46, he will cut them to pieces and assign them a place with the unbelievers. Now, there's some debate whether cut them to pieces means literally like cut them in half or cut them off, but either way, it's going to suck. It's not going to be good. This is punishment. This is being cast out with the unbelievers. You can say you're a follower of Jesus, but if you're not living like Jesus could return and, and ready and waiting for him in service, if you're not serving at your post, you'll be cast off with the unbelievers. So Jesus says, Now, that seems like a terrible fate. Jesus is warning us here. How you live now needs to be preparing for the end. But it's not about storing up the most. It's about serving at your post, he says. Let's keep reading in verse 47. Jesus says, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So now he's getting back to that first question that Peter asked him. What's the difference between disciples and not disciples on the end, at the end? Well, disciples know a lot. They've been given a lot. They've been entrusted with responsibilities. And because of that, more will be expected of them. But those who don't know, who haven't heard about Jesus, don't know the Bible, have not been taught, there's going to be less expecting from them, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, on the end, at the end, everyone will be judged, 
But the more that you're given in this life, more is expected of you. If you're given less, less is expected of you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the judge, I will return, and I will be 100% perfectly just in the rewards and the punishment that I'm bringing, okay? Now, this is really important for us because what we do in our culture, (laughs) we judge the judges. Have you noticed this? We, we judge the judges in our society. Literally, we do this. When we see a news story, here's a convicted serial rapist that gets three years in prison. We're angry, right? How could he? People are going online, they're mad, they're egging the house of that judge. How could you do that? That's a terrible punishment, right? It's, it's way too lenient. And that there's somebody else who has like a dime bag of marijuana and is away for 15 years. We freak out about that too, right? How could they be going away? That punishment be so big for such a small crime. Don't we say this? We judge the judges. And it's even, there was a scandal here just a couple weeks ago in Colorado. Did you guys see this in the news? Where where there was a judge who was acting um, very uh, inappropriately and doing some things very wrong, and the rest of the judges kind of just covered it up. Nobody knew about it. So it was a scandal when it kind of came out. Because who's judging the judges? That's what everybody wants to know. Because human judges get things wrong. Right? Human judges get things wrong. That's why even people freak out and there's protests when someone is shot by a police officer. Because we want to know, is there justice? Is there right justice for what's going on? Because, okay, well, was the criminal, you know, was he armed or not? Okay, we want to see, and that's why we even have like body cams, right? Because we want to see what's going on, and, and then we get cell phones. But even then, we still don't always get the best angle, and we can't really figure out what's going on in the scene. And then we wonder, well, was this premeditated? What Was this racist, perhaps? Or, or, or was this just person responding out of self-defense? This is what everybody's debating, right? Huge arguments and fights all over the place because none of us know. We want right justice. We all do. That's what everybody's fighting for. But it's so hard to figure out because we don't see everything and we don't know everything. But you know who does see everything and knows everything? Jesus. He doesn't need to see the camera angles on replay because he sees all things. He doesn't need to know what was the motivation for someone because he sees someone's heart and knows what's going on in their heart. So when Jesus comes and returns, and when he brings justice, their true justice will actually happen. This is what he's saying here. For the person who who does wrong, I know exactly what wrong they did and what was going on in their heart. And I know if they knew better, right? That's what he's saying. If they knew better and they did it, it's going to be worse for the person who didn't know. We do the same thing in our justice system. It's a difference between manslaughter and murder if there was... you know. Pre-thought, if there was premeditated crime, we want to know what's going on in the person's heart, right? So Jesus actually knows all those things. He knows what someone was taught, what happened in their childhood, if, if their mom neglected them, if there was trauma. He can look at all of those things so that he can judge someone fairly, and that's what he does. On Judgment Day, there's going to be 100% perfect justice. So for any sin and crime that we have committed, the punishment will exactly perfectly meet the crime. And the opposite, for for the good we do, it will be rewarded exactly and perfectly. So Jesus is saying, so if that's the case, and there will be a judgment day, and we will finally have true justice, that should change how we live our life now. Should change how we act, how we live, how, how we talk to each other, how we treat each other now, right? How we serve at our post now is going to be different because we know the judge is coming at the end. That's how we prepare for the end times. Now, there's a bumper sticker, perhaps you've seen it, around that says, um, Jesus is coming, look busy. 
You guys seen this? This is not what I'm teaching today, okay? This is not what I'm teaching, nor was Jesus teaching that, okay? People are like, oh, mom's coming. Let's act like we were doing what we were supposed to do, right? Boss finally shows up. Oh, yeah, let's all pretend like we were working, right? Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's how we actively wait. It's how we serve, how we're faithful at our post now, every single day. Now, I can share this from my own experience. I remember when I was a teenager, my parents would go overseas to Eastern Europe where they would do mission work every summer for four to six weeks every year. So when I was a teenager, my parents would leave me and my two older siblings at home, and we would take care of the house and have to do everything, and they expected it to be clean when they got back, right? My mom did, especially, right? So what, what did we do? Well, for four to six weeks, we wouldn't do anything. And then the, the day before they would come back, we would scramble, scrub everything, try to clean everything, right? Just to be ready uh, for, for when my parents were coming back the next day. And we never did a good enough job, right? That's what happened. Don't do that. That's not what Jesus is saying. And when I was older, and I definitely didn't do this perfectly, but when I was older, and I was actually 21, right before I got married to Melissa, I was starting seminary, I lived at this place here in Denver called the Downing House. And it was a really cool place. It was like a big estate in Cherry Hills Village, and they would let students and young people live there for free if they took care of the grounds and they kept it clean, right? But they would also let us know, hey, you guys live here, and you super cheap rent, but you have to keep the place clean. And at any moment... We might have guests come to see the property, and so everything needs to be clean and ready. So, of course, I didn't do it perfectly, but we were much more active about keeping things clean then than I was when I was a teenager. We were cleaning regularly to, to make the look, place look good, doing yard work and that kind of stuff, because we never knew when someone could come. So, so that's how we're supposed to live our lives. Do, do you guys get the difference? It's not, okay, scramble, oh, Jesus is here, ah, delete my browser history, oh, no, you know? Okay, it's not about that. It's about living faithfully the whole time, serving at our post every day, as if at any moment he could come back. I want to be doing what I'm supposed to do when he does come back. Because we don't know when it is. It's not even like a day's notice that, that I, I knew with uh, you know, my parents. It's at any moment. It, you will be caught off guard. So that's why we need to be alert and ready and living faithfully in every day and every moment. So, so this should challenge us a little bit, because what this is saying is that we need to stop saying, and I know we all do this, stop saying, I'll do that later. Yeah, don't we say that? Why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? Isn't that how we live our lives? Especially when it comes to our faith, let's be honest. We say, you know, you know when, I'm, when I'm less busy, then I'll start reading my Bible. Maybe when the kids are a little bit older, then I'll, I'll, I'll get involved in a community group. You know, I'll start serving, you know, later when, when life just, oh my gosh, there's huge project, work is busy, oh, things will calm down. They never do. I'll start tithing once I get that raise. And then the raise comes and you have more bills to pay. That's what we do. So instead of putting off till tomorrow the things you know you're supposed to do today, let's be faithful today. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And that's what I want to just encourage you and challenge you to do. Just do one of those things that you know, I've always wanted to do this, I've always said I was going to do this, but you've been putting it off. That, I just want you to do one of those things today. What is that thing for you? I don't even need to tell you. You know what it is. You've been thinking about it. You know you were supposed to do this thing, but you haven't been doing it. You've been putting it off. 
I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to take that step. Maybe it's to finally declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't wait till the end. Um, let me think about it a little more. No, make your decision. Baptism, coming up on March 21st. Oh, I'll do it. Maybe once mom's gone and she won't care that I'm getting baptized, right? No, no, no. Make the decision today. Do what you're supposed to do as the faithful servant at your post today. And that's what I want to challenge you. And, and let me say this, because I know there's some people listening who really need to hear this. What you've been saying I'll do after the pandemic is over, if it's a faithfulness to Christ, do it today. Because I know there are some people who are saying, hey, when the pandemic's over, then I'll get involved, then I'll serve, then I'll do this thing that Jesus tells me to do. Stop. Be faithful today. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to do that, even to serve online. That's, that's why we've been talking about online hosts even. That's a way that you can serve even if you're having health issues. We have someone like Amy Brandt who's saying, hey, I don't feel comfortable yet you know, because of my health to, to be in person, but I'm going to serve. And she's been one of our most faithful servants with our online hosts every week. She's online connecting with people. Okay, just because you're saying that the pandemic is here, that doesn't you know, give us an excuse to not be faithful. So let's be faithful today. Because what we do know is that this same Jesus who told us that he would be coming back is the Jesus who served us with his entire life. And Jesus did that with, with every breath he had, he served. He was faithful at his post while he was there, even though it was hard. In his last night together with his best friends that he knew he was going to die and be betrayed by one of them, he washed their feet in service. He loved others and cared for, for us, even going up to the cross. Because when we see the judge coming and we know that we're going to receive some punishment because all of us have sinned, Jesus said, I will serve you by taking your punishment upon myself. And that's what he did on the cross. When he died, all the punishment that we justly, perfectly deserve, Jesus took upon himself. And if we believe in him, we can be forgiven from all of that stuff. And when we do finally see the judge, we can claim the blood of Christ and be forgiven of our sins and given eternal reward. Now that's good news. And Jesus promises us that. So we need to put our faith in him and we need to be faithful servants now at our post. Whatever that means, wherever you are, do it today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Be faithful today. On May 19th, in 1780, there, there was kind of an uh, interesting day in U.S. history. Okay? Right in the middle of the Revolutionary War, there was a day, and it started in the morning like a normal day, but, but by mid-morning, the sky was turning yellow. And by noon, it was completely black. They call it New England's Dark Day. You can look it up. And in New England's Dark Day, everybody was freaking out what was going on because all the way from South Jersey to Portland, Maine, it was completely black. At noon, they had to light candles just to see. They didn't have electricity, and they had no idea what was going on. They, they couldn't look on CNN to figure out, hey, what, what's going on? They, they had no weather reports. They didn't know what was going on. It was just completely black. So what did they think? It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. It's coming. It's happening right now. You know, years afterwards, what scientists think happened was that there was really dense fog, really low cloud coverage, plus there was huge fires, forest fires in Canada that were being blown down into New England. But all they knew for that entire day, over 24 hours of just complete blackness, they thought it was the end of the world. And at that same time, the Connecticut legislature was meeting. And they were meeting and discussing, and most of them were like, well, I think we should go home. We should be with our families. Just, just stop doing what we're doing. 
um, because it's the end of the world. Jesus is coming back. But there was one man, Abraham Davenport, who I think faithfully followed Jesus' word, and this is what he said. He said, This well may be the day of judgment, which the world awaits. But be it so or not, I know only my present duty and my Lord's command to occupy till he come. So at the posts where he hath set me in his providence, I choose for one to meet him face to face. Therefore, with all reverence, I would say, let God do his work. We will see to ours. Bring in the candles. He knew that his job was to be in the legislature, so he was going to serve faithfully because that's what he was already doing. And I think we need to do the same thing. Wherever we're serving, in our church, in our families, in our community, at work, whatever we have been called by God to do, let's do it faithfully. And if we're not, let's be faithful today and not wait till tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I, I think you're teaching us something so important today in this message and in this series that we need to prepare right now for the end because we don't know when it'll come. It could be even before this series is out or, or none of us could live to see the day. But whatever it is, Lord God, help us to be faithful servants today. Not tomorrow, but today. And I pray that in your Holy Spirit, you would lead us to do the things we need to do. Give us the power and the strength to do them right now. And with head, heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never trusted in him and his death on the cross to forgive you of your sins, let me tell you, you're not ready for that day when it comes. And I want to encourage you, challenge you to be ready today to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because then you will be ready. You will be forgiven. And you will be celebrated and Jesus will serve you and let you rule with the, in the kingdom with him. So I just want to give you a chance to say a prayer to repeat after me if you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And with everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, if you already are a follower of Jesus, I want you to say this prayer to you to give courage to the person next to you who needs to make this decision today. But let's all please just repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive me. Save me. I declare that Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you and serve at my post till the end. Amen. Now, with eyes still closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and you meant it, and you declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time, would you please just slip your hand up in the air? Or if you're online, go to risedenver.com slash connect, fill out that form, and click the button that says, I follow Jesus, I made a decision. I want to hear from you, and I want to encourage you on this journey. Um, Lord God, we, we all come to you because we all have things in our life that we need to change, things that we've been putting off, saying, hey, when I'm older, when I'm more mature, after this happens, after I'm less busy, Lord God, help us to do those things faithfully now to serve at our post like we are called to and commanded to, ready for your uh, return at any time, knowing that it's not about storing up the most, but serving at our post. So Lord God, right now we worship you because you are the great Father in heaven who loved us so much to send your Son so that we could be your children. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.